0: Oh, what's up, Lake Point family? Great to see you guys this weekend. I we want to welcome all of our campuses and those of you that might be uh, joining us online as well. Man, we are so grateful for you. And I can't tell you how excited I am for Christmas, especially Christmas at Lake Point. It's going to be spectacular. So be thinking of who you can invite. There's some invite cards on the way out today at all the campuses you can pick up and hand out to people in your world. Uh, it's one of the easiest invites you can make. Because uh, people just are looking for a, something to do on, on Christmas, and you can make that invitation with confidence uh, that there is—it's uh, going to be beautiful, it's going to be impactful, it's going to be a lot of fun, uh, and God's going to show up and touch people's lives in a very unique way. And plus, we got like 116 services across all the campuses. So just pick one and invite somebody, invite somebody to it. Uh, by the way, I, I don't know who did it, but thank you, whoever decorated the place. All of our campuses just beautiful with all the, the lights and trees and stuff. So, thanks for doing that. Uh, Y'all got your Christmas decorations up at your place? Anybody do it before Thanksgiving? That's against the rules. You're not supposed to do that. Uh, Now, Debbie and I, we we do it just the day after Thanksgiving. We won't do it until the day after Thanksgiving, but the next day on that Friday, it is game on. Garage door goes up, the boxes come out, lights go up, decorations go out, and we lean over and go, Alexa play James Taylor Christmas music, and music starts going, I love everything about the season, man, I love the music, I love the cookies, I love the presents, I love the cookies, I love children's laughter, I love the cookies, but especially what I love is the hope, the hope that surrounds that baby in a manger. We're in week number two of a little Christmas series we're doing, ramping up to our Christmas celebration where we're just asking the question, just who is this baby in a manger? And we're basing our time together on an ancient prophecy from the Old Testament of the Bible, from the book of Isaiah that talked about the coming of the Savior of the world, the coming Messiah. And this is what it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called... Wonderful Counselor, that's the one that Pastor Josh talked about last week. If you missed that one, got to get online and check it out. So, so good about how the truth of Jesus can set us free from any of the lies that we may have been told along the way. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You know, each of us have different names that describe a lot about us. For instance, to most people, I'm just bro, just been bro all my life. It's my last name, and most people just call me bro. To many, I'm Mike. To every teacher on the first day of school, I was Jerry, which is my first name. To some, I'm Pastor Mike. Some young guys still call me Coach Bro. My kids call me Dad. Uh, My grandkids call me Papa. Every name describes just an aspect of who I am. And we can learn some things about God based on the different names that he is called. The first name in the Bible used to describe God is found in the first four words of the Bible. In the book of Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. Now, this name, Elohim, appears 2,500 times in just the Old Testament, and it's the plural name of God, meaning God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You might remember in the creation story where God says, let us make man in our own image." So, the first thing we learn about the identity of this baby in a manger is that he's the creator, the one who spoke this universe into existence. Now, the Hebrew word for create is bara, which means to create from nothing. Can we go back to Christmas cookies for a minute? If if you say, I made these Christmas cookies from scratch, did you really? Did you, do you mean you really made them from nothing? No, you started with some eggs and some oil and some flour or some chocolate chips or some raisins or whatever. I mean, chefs and bakers and inventors, artists, architects, carpenters, engineers, they can make all kinds of things, but not bara, not from nothing. Scientists can combine things and genetically alter things, even clone things, but they can't create something out of absolutely nothing. Plus, think about this, no one can speak things into existence. I mean, wouldn't it be great if you could? You can look at that old junky car in your driveway and go, let there be Mercedes, and there was Mercedes. Or you look at your junky old report car and go, let there be A's, and there were A's. But you and I can't do that. We can't speak things into existence. But God said, let there be light. And there was light. So God moved, God created, God spoke, and out of nothing, there was something. That's Elohim. That's the mighty God lying in that manger. And listen, if God can make something from nothing, imagine what he could do in your life right now. Because sometimes I think we just forget. Like we're going through a storm, we're going through a crisis, even in the midst of like a global pandemic, we have a tendency to forget how big and how powerful and how awesome and how smart and how mighty is the God of all creation. I read recently where Disney is bringing back uh, Rick Moranis uh, and, and doing a remake of that old movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Where he You remember the movie where he plays this nerdy professor who comes up with this machine that can shrink things to microscopic size, and he accidentally turns it on his kids, and therefore he has a lot of explaining to do to his wife throughout the movie? That's the title of the movie is, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. You ever thought it would be how cool it would be to have a machine like that? Honey, I shrunk my gut. Honey, I shrunk our mortgage. We can't do that. But, but, But from the beginning of time, people have been trying to shrink God down to our size, to make Him smaller than He actually is. For instance, some might say, well, I've got God shrunk down to a little figurine that I can set on my fireplace mantel. Well, I I shrunk God down to a little symbol, a little image that I can wear around my neck or carry on some beads or hang on my wall, or we condense God down to a little box called a church building where God only shows up and only lives inside of buildings with crosses and stained glass. I think sometimes we feel more comfortable when we can just shrink God down to our size and say, honey, I shrunk our God. But, gang, that will never happen. That will never happen. Elohim is the most shrink-resistant entity in the universe. He cannot be reduced to a fragile figurine in a nativity set. He cannot be confined by any box. In fact, one of the things that I'm so thankful that we've been learning as a church over the past 18 months is he's not confined to any church building. He cannot be defined by our limited understanding. It's why we just sang, all hail King Jesus, because there is no equal, there is no rival. He is Elohim, the mighty God of all creation. One of my favorite stories about this mighty God is the time when Jesus, he's no longer a baby now, he's in his early 30s, and he gets into a boat with his guys, his disciples, his followers, after a a long day of ministry, and he's just absolutely exhausted. And they're making their way across the Sea of Galilee. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to the Sea of Galilee or not, but it's surrounded kind of by mountains, and the air in the mountains is very cool. And the Sea of Galilee is actually below sea level, so the the air is very warm there. Now, when warm air and cold air get together, what happens? Yeah, storms come up very, very quickly, and they can come up quickly on the Sea of Galilee and it happens this particular night where a storm just starts to come over the lake and, and, and disciples are freaking out because they know, they, they're experienced fishermen, a lot of them, and they know what danger they're in, water's coming over the side of the boat the wind is rocking the boat back and forth they, they're, they're freaking out, remember where Jesus was? He's asleep in the bottom of the boat, through the whole thing, and uh, I, I don't know, when, when, when are you the least cool? You know when I'm the least cool? When I first wake up when, especially when somebody wakes me up out of a deep sleep, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know what day it is. The one hair I got's all messed up. My, my eyes are glazed over. My hands don't work. I got drool coming out of the corner. I am so uncool when I first wake up. So the, so the, so the storm is rocking the boat. The water's coming to the side. The disciples are freaking out. So they go down, and they wake up Jesus. Get up, Jesus. You got to do something, teacher. We're going to die out here. We're going to drown. Get up and help us bail water or something. And I would have loved to have been on that boat. When Jesus gets up out of a deep sleep, peace, be still. I'm going back to bed. (laughs) And the water, the waves stopped. And the wind stopped. And one of the coolest parts about the story is that it says the disciples were frightened by the storm. But check out, after Jesus does this, check out what it says. The disciples were absolutely terrified. Frightened of the storm, terrified of what they'd just seen. And they said, Who is this man? Even the wind and waves obey him. The answer he's Elohim. That's who? The mighty God who spoke the universe into existence. One of the writers of the New Testament, a guy named Paul, you may have heard of him, he wrote a lot of the New Testament of the Bible. And he tries to answer that question about Jesus' identity, like, who is this man? A little bit of a lengthy passage. Just track along with me. He says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created in this supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. So Paul's saying he is Elohim, he is creator God. The one who said, let there be light, is also the one who came to be the light of the world. He existed, talking about Jesus, before anything else. And he holds all creation together, he's saying Jesus is the glue. He holds everything together, including your life and mine. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, supreme over all who will rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all, 100% of his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled, brought everything back to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on that cross. And that's that baby lying in a manger. That's who we worship. The one who speaks to waves and wind, and they listen and obey. The one who made you and me. The one who loves you and me. The one who pursues you and me. The one who laid down his life so that you and I could live forever. The classic Christmas song asks the question, what child is this? That laid a rest on Mary's lap is sleeping. He's mighty God. That's who he is. Now, Elohim is the first name the Bible uses to describe God, but in Exodus chapter 3, the second book of the, uh, of, the, of the Old Testament, we see the first name that God uses to describe himself. And God identifies himself to a guy named Moses, you might have heard of this guy before, Moses, who was hiding out as a fugitive on the backside of his spiritual life, on the backside of a mountain called Mount Sinai, he was, he was hiding from other people, he actually hiding from God. And even though he had never really bought into the whole polytheistic culture, he'd grown up in Egypt. And with a culture much like ours, multiple gods, here a God, there a God, everywhere a God, God. They all had their gods in different boxes. This God gives fertility. This God gives wealth. This God gives prosperity. This God brings fire. This God brings rain. This God gives military might. Just little God, little G gods in a box. Never to be known, never to be experienced, never to be loved or worshiped. And check out this story in Exodus 3 as God, the one true living God, reveals his name for the very first time. And he does it through a bush that was on fire in the middle of nowhere. It says in Exodus 3, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? See, guys, we like burning stuff. We like lighting fires. We like smoking meat. We like flicking matches. We got a thing for fire. Now, if Moses was real perceptive, he would have seen this as a picture of God, the eternal, inextinguishable, self-combusting God who says, I am self-existent. I need no source. I am my own source. I fuel myself. I'm the eternal, holy, transcendent, infinite God burning in this bush right before you. But instead, Moses is like, dude, that's a cool bush. Go check that out. So He does. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, "Uh, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Now, this whole deal about taking off your shoes is really kind of intriguing to me, and I may have this all wrong, one of those questions I'm going to ask when I get to heaven. But back in that day, holy things could not be touched. In fact, they would wrap up the Scriptures in cloth. They would wrap the Torah in cloth to exchange it to one another because your skin could not touch what was holy. And, and again, I may be totally wrong about this, but if you follow the line of that reasoning, wouldn't it make sense for God to say, Moses, put on your work boots and an extra pair of socks? But instead, he says, take off your shoes. I want to get skin on skin with you. I want to be known by you. Verse 6, then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I've been around a long time. My track record's pretty impressive. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God, and the Lord said, I have seen The misery of my people in Egypt, which was probably the furthest thing from Moses' mind as he was hiding out for 40 years, but not God's mind. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down. God does that, you know. He's a down-to-earth kind of God. God. I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the rest of the ites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. Go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh, the king, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, verse 11, Uh, who am I (laughs) that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God comes back pretty much with, it's not about who you are. Didn't you just hear me? I I just said, I am coming down and I am going to bring them up. It's not about you. I'm going to do it. Moses, I'm just asking you to lead. The people will know that it's me that's orchestrating all of this. Moses, I want to use you, but they will all see that I am moving. They will all know that I am enough. And always remember, Moses, I am with you. And I love this scene because it reminds me so much of me. Moses says to God, okay, well, so, suppose I go. And don't you love it? He's not saying yes yet. He's going, to, okay, hypothetically speaking, God, if I were to do this, suppose I were to go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, okay, so what's his name? Then what am I going to tell them? And here it is, the first time God says his name. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. That just gives me chills. The name that's used in Scripture for the God who just is, is this name. Now, you can't pronounce that. the classic Hebrew had no vowels, which wasn't a problem because the ancient Jews never said this. It was too holy to speak. But when they wrote it, they added the vowels from another Hebrew word, which is the title for Lord, Adonai, and they came up with Jehovah, kind of a hybrid, and later most scholars would translate with the A and the E vowel the word Yahweh. Yahweh is used 6,800 times in the Old Testament. And you're saying, well, I've I've read the Bible. I've I've never seen it. Well, it's used whenever you see the word LORD in all caps. For instance, like this verse, O LORD, which is Yahweh, our LORD, Adonai, how majestic is your name in all the earth. To Moses, God simply says, tell him I am. Always have been, always will be. Moses, just tell him, tell him "Be sent you. We had to have a creator. God did not. We need food to survive. God does not. We need electricity for energy and heat. God's his own power source. We need a purpose. God's his own purpose. We can get sick and hurt and killed and strayed, swayed, and afraid, but God is never in danger. He never wavers. He never sleeps. He never rushes. He never panics. He never stresses out, never has, never will. He's just, I am. And this is huge in me getting perspective on myself. I love how author Louis Giglio says, if he is I am, then I am not. In fact, he says we ought to wear name tags at church and say, hello, I am not. We all to wear that name tag, because he is big. I am not. He is good. I am not. He is great. I am not. He is awesome. I am not. He is holy. I am not. He is infinite. I am not. He is perfect. I am not. He is pure, I am not. He is wisdom, I am not. He is knowledge, I am not. He is sovereign, I am not. He is transcendent, I am not. There has been an absolute explosion of discovery and knowledge in our lifetime. It is now estimated that human knowledge is doubling faster than every two years. But no matter how much knowledge we attain, we will never, ever know as much as God. God's knowledge blows away today's technology and discoveries because God knows how all things work. Think about that. He has complete working knowledge of all the mysteries of science. He doesn't just know biology and botany, he knows exactly the way it works. He doesn't just know physiology, he knows exactly the way it works. He's the foremost expert on zoology, meteorology, psychology, geology, chemistry, physics, medicine, and genetics. It's what led David to write these song lyrics, oh, great is our Lord, and mighty in power, his understanding has no limits. His understanding is limitless. He would not only ace the SAT and the ACT, he'd get extra credit. He would be reigning Jeopardy champ every single night on television for the rest of eternity. Romans chapter 11 says this about him, I love this from the message, have you ever come upon anything quite like this extravagant generosity of God, this deep, deep wisdom? It's way over our heads. We'll never figure it out. Is there anyone around who can explain God? anyone smart enough to tell him what to do, anyone who has done him such a huge favor that God has to ask his advice? I don't know, maybe he's come to you, but he had not come to me and say, hey, bro, i got some galaxy problems. Could you, could you give me a hand today? Not a chance is he going to do that. But here's my problem. I tend to think that God should ask my advice. And the bigger I make me, the smaller I make God, and it's right back to, honey, I shrunk our God. And I'm just learning that the smaller I become, the bigger God becomes in my life. And as a result, I got a bigger faith and a bigger strength and a bigger peace. And my security level starts to grow because I know that He is mighty God. Y'all ever been to a planetarium? You know what I'm talking about? In a room, you can go, uh, and they got kind of an in- indoor uh, uh, dome where you can see the whole universe on display. Uh, I went there with uh, my son, Drew, in his fifth grade uh, elementary class years ago, and uh, I remember sitting there just being completely fascinated by the whole presentation. It just blew me away. Now, the kids, they're pretty much falling asleep, but I was just like awestruck by everything in there. And I'm, so, I'm looking for the earth, and I see the earth, and it's just this little tiny speck out there in the universe, and it just hit me. Oh, man, the earth is just a speck. And that makes me a speck on 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 a speck. And it made me think of what David wrote in the Psalms. Who am I? that you be mindful of me. See, when I discover that he is I am, and I admit that I am not, makes me stand in awe that a speck like me could be the object of his radical obsession. You and I are the ones that so passionately move him that the mighty God came down to a manger in Bethlehem to rescue us all. When Jesus stood accused of blasphemy before the Jewish council of the Sanhedrin, they asked him, are you the Christ, are you the Messiah, are you the son of the blessed one? You know how Jesus responded? I am. He stands before Pilate, beaten, drenched in his own blood, and the Roman governor asks him, Are you a king? I am. The same God who spoke to Moses from that bush, the same God who spoke to the wind and the waves, the same God who said, Lazarus, come out of that tomb, the same God who turned water into wine, the same God who opened blinded eyes, the same God who took two little fish and five biscuits and fed 5,000 people till they were absolutely stuffed, the same God who said, let there be light, was the same God who spoke to Pilate on that balcony. Hebrews 13 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That baby in a manger is the great I am. Joy to the world. Yahweh has come. And I can't can't tell you all how how excited I am to be just a tiny part of this church. And because I believe there are neighborhoods and communities and there are cities and campuses and college Uh, classrooms and coffee shops and locker rooms and kitchen tables that have questions about god people who in the depths of their being want to know him because god wired us all up that way and they're saying where where is god what's he like is there anybody that's that's seen him i mean does he care does he care about me How, how could i get hooked up with him anybody ever talk to him I mean, how could I talk to him? Can anybody help me find him? They just need to know that the one called the mighty God is alive and moving and active and compassionate, that he is a healer, that he is a truth teller, that he's a freedom giver, that he's an addiction breaker, and he's the lover of their soul. They need to know the answer to the question. What's his name? We all have questions. Some questions you might have wondered recently is, Who's going to make sure that good will eventually prevail over all this evil? I am. Is there any truth really out there? I am. If my husband really does walk out on us, who's going to take care of us? I am. What if the chemo isn't enough? I am. Who's smart enough to figure out this crazy life of mine? I am. Who's going to help me through the stress of finals week? I am. I desperately need something fresh in my life. I am. Leaders are dropping like flies. Is there anybody out there that's real? I am. Nobody listens to me. I am. Who's going to stay with me in this big, empty house now? I am. Who's going to help us pick up the pieces after this disaster? I am. Man, I'm going under. Somebody help. I am. My family deserves so much more. I am. The world is such a mess. Who will ever fix it? I am. Always have been. Always will be. I am. The baby in the manger is a wonderful counselor. The everlasting father, the prince of peace, the mighty God. He's Emmanuel. God with us. Uh, Jesus, we, we applaud you. We cheer you, we worship you, so grateful for you. God, you know how many times that I've tried to shrink you down to manageable size, I just can't do it. And the more I've tried, the more I realize I don't want to do it. <laughs> the biggest mistake of my life. I need a God I can't explain. I need a God that's worthy of worship and awe and wonder. And I need a God who chose to make himself small and vulnerable even though he's neither one of those things. And live in this world so that we would know that you understand the way it is here. And that you would lay down your sinless life so we could be free forever. Thank you for the Christmas story. Thank you for the reality of it all. Thank you for the truth of it all. Father, I pray that uh, this Christmas would be one of those times where our hearts just get gripped by this reality. That the one who said, let there be light, became the light of the world. So grateful, Jesus. Thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, Join us for our Church Online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit Digital.